0: Is lit.
1: Welcome to Rock is Lit, the podcast that takes listeners on a quest to find the very best rock novels and explore the propulsive energy and raw power of these stories about music, the people who make it, and the characters who love it. Rock is Lit is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Christy Alexander-Halberg, author of my own rock novel, Searching for Jimmy Page from Livingston Press. Find me on Facebook at Christy alexander Hallberg and Twitter and Instagram at Christy Hallberg. Visit my website at www.christyalexanderhallberg.com. I'm really excited about this episode. The great Susie Quattro is here to talk, in part, about her rock novel, The Hurricane. Later, Catherine Terman, who is a journalist and producer of Alice Cooper's syndicated radio show, Nights with Alice Cooper, jumps on the show to talk about Susie's place in rock and roll history. You won't want to miss that. But first. We're joined by Susie Quattro, singer, bassist, songwriter, actress, and rock icon. Throughout the 1970s, following the release of her self-titled debut album in 1973, she scored a string of hit singles in the UK, Europe, and Australia with such songs as Can the Can, "Devilgate Drive, 48 Crash, The Wild One, and Your Mama Won't Like Me. Her 1978 duet, With Smokey's lead singer Chris Norman stumbling in, reached number four in the U.S. and sold over one million copies. From 1977 to 1979, she had a recurring role as bass player Leather Tuscadero on the popular sitcom Happy Days. Susie has sold over 50 million records worldwide and continues to perform live. Her most recent studio album, The Devil in Me, was released in 2021 and saw the collaboration of her son, Richard Tucky, who had already taken part in her album No Control in 2019. Susie also remains active in radio broadcasting. In addition to her extraordinary musical career, she is the author of several books, including the 2017 rock novel, The Hurricane. Susie, it is such an honor to get the chance to talk with you.
2: It's my pleasure. Nice intro. Okay. Off we go.
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna go all fangirl on you for just a minute here and then I'll get it together. But I've been such a fan since I was seven or eight when I first saw first saw you as a leather Tuscadero, fronting leather and the suede on happy days. You were just so cool. And I think you did seven episodes, or was it more than that? I know you did those three seasons.
2: I think it was nine and it went over three seasons. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, it was enough to establish the character big time. Right,
1: right. So one of my favorite episodes is the one where Joni runs away and you you kind of bring her back. She wants to be a suede so bad and her parents won't let her, but she finally does get to do it. And you guys sing Devil Gate Drive. Do
2: you have a favorite episode? Um, The first two were special because they were my first two, but I think... One of my favorites was Miriam plays uh, Fairy Godmother, where I date Ralph Melf. Ralph Melf. Yeah. And I had to go out of character. I remember the director saying to me on this particular episode, This is important for you as an actress because you're not singing at all. So this is you. And he really yeah. pointed me. And I enjoyed doing that with Donnie. It was a nice episode, it was good. I, it had a lot of heart, a lot of heart to it. That's so funny you should
1: mention that. I was just talking about that episode yesterday as I remember you walking with the book on your head, trying to wear the heels.
2: Over here, Leather. Oh, there she is now. Oh, here yeah, she is cool. Hubba, hubba, hubba. Hi, Joni, what's shaking? How? Well, Joni, hey. aren't you
1: going to introduce
0: us?
2: Oh, sure. Leather, this is Ralph Mouth. Now, charm. And uh, this is Potsy Weber. Did you know that
0: Anson Williams,
1: who played Patsy, is running for mayor of Ojai, California? He's announced his candidacy.
2: Is he? Yes. Oh my God, Anson! I'll have to contact him. What does he think he's doing? Okay, I'm, I'm proud. <laughs> of him. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him.
1: Henry Winkler, the Fonz, has endorsed him, so he's got his vote. Now you live in Germany, now, don't you?
2: No, I don't live in Germany. Um, My husband lives in Germany. I I have lived in the UK since 1971. I was first married to my guitar player. I have two kids with them and a grandchild. Then we got divorced and I married this German man who I've been married to for nearly 30 years. And for some reason, it just ended up that he lives there and I live here and we go back and forth. So, no, I don't. I do not live in Germany. I am Detroit. (laughs)
1: <laughs> via, well, I knew via, that.
2: Yeah, via the UK but I've never left Detroit in my heart and soul I just can't yeah. get rid of that yeah
1: I hear you I'm a North Carolina girl at heart I can't get away from
2: it you can't and you shouldn't how, how can you lose how can you lose your yeah. roots you shouldn't lose yeah. them
1: so before we talk about your novel the hurricane let's find out a little bit about your musical taste outside of your own work so let's play a set of five questions what's
2: the first album
1: or record you bought
2: That's easy. Um, I was, I can't remember what age I was. I was very young, might've been 11 and it was Bobby Darren's. You must've been a beautiful baby. Nice. And I asked my dad for the money to buy it. First time I bought one, but he gave me the dollar and I came back with a penny change. It was 99 cents. So that was the first, the first one I went in and physically put the money down and bought Great moments in life. Yeah, you never forget stuff like that. Oh, no,
1: no. What was your most memorable live music experience outside of your own performances?
2: I've got two. My first uh, was a psychedelic blowing the hair off my head. It was <laughs> when I was 15, and I went to a gig at the Chessmate in Detroit, and they yeah. were featuring a very popular band in Detroit from New York called the Blues and Goose. and they were kind of a psychedelic rock and I sat in the front row, and my it just went and I was high, I was straight, but I was high. yeah, yeah, and yeah. I re- and the reason they came to mind was because the bass player recently got in touch with me. Um he was the first time I saw the riding and the low. and I and I just said, that's me, and that was mm-hmm. me. but the most the most impressive, unexpected joy I had, believe it or not, a record company guy took me to see when I was twenty one. In England, he came Mm -hmm. to England and he was, I I got to meet him and he took me to the show and it was Don McLean and I didn't know who he was. And he came out with his guitar and I went, (laughs) well, no, I did. I went, I went, this is it. This is what I'm going to watch tonight. And before you knew it, the encore came. Okay. And I just went, wow, what happened? And the other one is uh, Wayne Newton. Okay. And I know crazy, but this affected me because I'm an entertainer Mm -hmm. and he, my dad took us to see him in Las Vegas and he made me cry and laugh and smile. And I just went, wow, what an entertainer.
1: Oh, that's fabulous. So you learned a
2: lot about how to be an entertainer from watching him. I learned a lot from everybody I saw. Plus my dad, I am an entertainer. I'm a rock and roller, but I've, I'm an, I'm a, Entertaining rock and roller. Can I put it that way?
1: (laughs) Yes. And I completely understand what you mean. If you had the opportunity to interview an artist or a band, who would it be? And what's one question you would ask? And this could be living or dead. We're in fantasy land here. Oh, that's
2: easy. I think I know who you're going to say. I just got a chill when I thought it. I would do Elvis.
1: I knew you were going to say that.
2: (laughs) And I would ask him only one question. What? why yeah and i wouldn't need to say anything more just why what do you think he'd say i think he would tell me i didn't have a choice Mm. whoa cool where did that come from yeah (laughs) yeah,
1: that gave me chills too
2: that gave me chills i went right in there i was in the zone okay
1: (laughs) okay what's on your playlist now
2: well, I'm a mood listening person. So it depends what mood I'm in, but I just bought the new uh uh Paolo Nantini. Fantastic, but then after that, as soon as I listened to his new stuff, I then played um Bob Dylan because I'm a Bob. Yeah. Player. But it depends what it depends what mood I'm in. Bob Dylan though is kind of like evergreen because he can make me think, he can make me laugh and he can Mostly make me cry. Absolutely. Bob Dylan makes me
1: cry. What? Well, I love that you mentioned Bob Dylan because (laughs) listeners, we're recording this on July 25th, 2022. On July 25th, 1965, just happens to be the same day. Bob Dylan went electric at the Newport Folk Festival and folkies lost their shit.
2: Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah.
1: Pete Seeger supposedly wanted to cut his guitar cable. It was like, what's that noise?
2: One of the best things he ever did.
1: I know, right?
2: He didn't lose his folk roots. He added He added to them. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, what he did was take that
2: to a whole different level. He's a typical Gemini. I'm a Gemini too. And us Geminis refuse to be boxed in. Mm-hmm. This, this is my character and that's him too. We won't be boxed in. Don't put me there. Yeah. Yes, I'm there. But if I want to go there, I'll go there. Mm-hmm. Same thing. See, I get like this about it.
1: Do you have a um, a moment kind of like that where something in rock has happened or something in music or entertainment has happened and you just went, what the hell was that?
2: Did anything shock me? No, because I'm not that nature. I believe in personal artistic freedom. So even if something, if even if I went, oh, I would listen and go in there. No, I believe freedom. Yeah. Why shouldn't you do what you want to do? Okay, the only one that just came to mind <laughs> <laughs> but was, having said that, having said that, I just saw the one that I went and I don't normally that I went what and that was Pat Boone doing no more Mr. Nice Guy. Oh yeah. Okay, now I believe in everything happening, but I I kind of went well that didn't make it for me. He didn't have the sense of humor to carry it off. Right. Anyway, that's that's my only one. Okay.
1: Which artist or band would you like to see featured in a, a rock novel in some capacity?
2: Let's yeah. Let me think. So they weren't real, so you could do what you liked with them. Yeah. Well, oh, I would like to do Simon and Garfunkel. Oh,
1: well, that's an interesting choice. I have to think about that one.
2: I would like to see the underneath internal struggle between those two egos, but played out. Yeah. Okay. Because they're both they're both good. That's what just came to my mind. Interesting. All right, let's take a short
1: break and we'll be back with Susie Quattro. And make sure you stick around for the last segment of the show when journalist and producer Catherine Terman pops in to talk about Susie's place in the pantheon of rock and roll. Back in a moment.
2: Hi, this is Susie Quattro, and you're listening to Rock is Lit. We're back with the legendary Susie Quattro.
1: My first question is, you've had, and still have, this incredible career in music and acting, but especially music. What made you decide to tackle writing a novel?
2: Oh, my God. Like I said, don't box me in. Um, God, that was a famous song, Don't Fence Me In. I, I have always wanted to write, and just like I always wanted to act and I knew I could do it. I don't try to do what I don't think I can do, but I know what I can do. I'm an artist. And um, I had written my autobiography and my friend who's now passed, Jackie Collins, she's, I said to her, I want to write a novel. And she said, you should, because you're a good writer. And I said, thank you. She actually gave me a quote on Unzipped, which is my autobiography. And she said, But I'll just give you one tip from me. I said, Please. She said, With your first novel, stick to what you know. And I went, Okay. So I made the girl a rock chick. I didn't, I used a little bits and pieces of what I knew. And then I, I was just reading bits of it. Now I can't remember writing it. <laughs> I'm reading it, wondering what's happening next. How stupid am I? I wrote it. Yeah, because I I do lose myself in it. I do. yeah. And I'm not even sure what I'm doing. I'm just going. But um, I used a certain character and I used bits of myself and bits of my life, but then it flew away. I wanted to do a rock novel, but that wasn't yeah. me. That wasn't me. I would like this, and it's in the motion now, to be a movie. I think this would make a great yeah. movie. I've got a a follow-up already in my head because there's some characters I'd like to see what happens to them.
1: Mm -hmm. In case listeners aren't familiar with The Hurricane, here's kind of a truncated version of the synopsis from the back of the novel. Alison Hart is a different kind of female, not masculine, not feminine, but somewhere in between, a one-off. She's a guitar player in a band of guys who call themselves the Rough Edges, a band she would quickly surpass in talent, Allison takes us through her life from Cleveland to New York to London to Miami, from marriage to affair, from great happiness to great tragedy. It is a journey through the music business and a journey through her heart. Follow her through the emotional upheaval her life represents. She is a stranger in her own body who unwittingly discovers why she has always felt this way. So there's a little bit of mystery in there that I don't want to give that away either. But like you were saying this this sounds like there's a lot of that taken from your own life and I think most most novelist's first novel is is at least semi-autobiographical
2: yeah you 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 have to be what you're comfortable with but but I mean I did go in areas that I don't live in but oh yeah but, but you write uh, characters that are familiar to you so you can flesh them out so what did
1: you find most challenging about writing a novel um
2: did I find it challenging no I when I when I write i i fall in i just fall in yeah. and i i i think i think the only thing challenging part was remembering what i had done so me being me cuz i fall into it i had to
0: mm-hmm. backtrack
2: every time i sat down to write it to backtrack and write and i'd look at i'd read it look at it and I'd go okay right and then i then i continue um it's to keep your what's the word that they call in a film continuity
1: okay yeah
2: there's there's a le- there's a lady employed called continuity girl. You have to keep your continuity. And I fly away. I'm actually working on my second novel now. I love saying that. All right. <laughs> anyway, I'm writing my second novel.
1: Super <laughs> <of> my champagne. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, did you write it quickly? Did it come really quickly? No. What's What's the period of time?
2: Um, I started to write it quite a few years ago, and then I got stuck. Yeah. Stuck. Which happens a lot. Which happens. So I just left it upstairs on the third floor, you know, and then all of a sudden I decided I wanted to look at it again. So I looked at it and I went, okay, okay. I've now stuck too closely to me. Uh So I went, I went back to where I started to feel I was too, and I threw it out. Mm -hmm. I went up to a certain point point, then I went boom and then I started to create I thought okay I took Jackie too seriously so then then it flowed once I Mm -hmm. got rid of Susie too strictly out of the equation then I thought okay there's no rules here this girl can do what she likes I can go wherever I like then I started to fly then it made sense to me
1: yeah that's very freeing when you can let go of yourself and get into the character because Allison's background is not like yours
2: not at all very different and I had to give this character that freedom to be who she was.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, because I knew that you had written it, I did kind of have had to- had to
2: separate.
1: Yeah. yeah. But once I, I really got into it, then it was easier and easier to do that because she was different. She
2: was different. I mean, different. There, were,
1: there were the similarities and, and there are a few more that I want to talk about in a minute. But as I say, the background and the situation with her family and her parents, very different. So, oh, very. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, that that made it even easier to separate.
2: Yeah,
1: I love all the behind the scenes music business insight we get from Allison's dealings with the record company, and journalists and photographers and and the guys in her band, the Rough Edges. A lot of her experiences involve blatant sexism. A lot in there, and and this is the seventies and eighties, so that rang completely true. And she always handles it with strength and gravitas. So my question to you is, as a pioneering woman in that male-dominated rock world in the 70s, you had to have experienced similar situations with sexism. Do you have any Me Too moments
2: from that period? Um, I am a, God, what's the word? I'm a ballsy girl. Yeah. Uh, I believe in myself. I don't do gender as such. I don't. I don't think I've ever referred to myself as a female musician. Mm -hmm. I was given the confidence and the ability and the training to be successful at my job. I believe in me. Uh, If anybody did that to me, I shot them down within milliseconds. Good for you you know? And I yeah. think, I think that's probably why I was the first successful female, excuse my gender, female musician, because that's how I felt. I I don't take any shit from anybody. Right. I just don't.
1: Well, you've said, and this is a quote, I was the first rock and roll chick, lead singer, serious bass player, kicking ass with the guys in the band and beating them at their own game. So hell yes, you didn't take any shit.
2: I didn't. And, and you know, it even started when you just reminded me of this i think you start very young in life if if you are aware enough which i always was to know who you are i've always known mm-hmm. who i am um and i remember the first time i saw elvis pesley on tv i was five and a half
1: wow was that on sullivan yeah okay. and
2: and all of us were there, you know, All the family sat down, eight o'clock, you sit down and watch Ed Sullivan. And at the end, he brings on something for the youngsters, as he used to say. So mm-hmm. end of the show, all five kids are there, my mom and dad, and on comes Elvis, don't be cool. And I was five and a half, and my elder sister, by nine years, started to scream. And, <laughs> and at five and a half, I went, what are you doing? And I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And I thought, why is she screaming? But I then turned to the TV and I got drawn in. And in my little brain of five and a half, I never forget it. It was a pivotal moment in my life. I said, in my head, I said, I'm going to do that. Oh, wow. Now, it didn't occur to me. I didn't think to myself, he's a guy and I'm his girl. That didn't even, yeah. I, gender didn't come into it. I just thought, I'm going to do that and right. I and I did. So this has always been my kind of character. Mm-hmm. And although I know I'm female obviously it does not dictate what I do.
1: Yeah, it's it's the same with Allison. She's described as neither male nor female. Um there's this kind of androgynous quality about her. And the lines between male and female were so clearly Rigidly even drawn in the seventies when the novel is set, not so much now, not so much in twenty twenty two when those lines are are kind of muddied. I wonder how different the story Allison's and yours would be if it were set in the present, and I'm wondering how you think you differ from allison um where do we
2: differ uh that's a tough one I think she maybe didn't understand and i do didn't didn't understand what true freedom meant from herself and her past Mm -hmm. she didn't understand how important love was i don't think she got love most of the time um and she was female but i think she had a problem being female i think she's quite butch in her own way i'm not butch Interesting character. I, I have to I have to do more of her. You know, she was uh not easy. Her whole rela- her whole relationship with Harry. I mean, I wonder if she loved him even. I think she wonders that herself at times. I, I think she does too. I and so you know, you can't compare this to me. I was madly in love with my first husband, still love him now. Now I didn't love him anymore, but I don't think I don't think she fell in love until Leo. hmm and then I wonder what that was. And the, here's the funny part. I wrote Leo King. I wrote him. And when I'm done with the book and I'm reading it back and sometimes you go back and revisit it, I don't like him.
1: Do you think it was the age difference? and You know, and they were in similar positions of power. So do you think it was the age difference and the fact that I mean, I don't want to say too much,
2: but the nature of the relationship that's that troubles you about him? I find him, and I wrote him, it's so crazy. See, I can talk in third person. Um, I find him a little bit too arrogant for me.
1: I find it interesting that you wrote this book in third person, omniscient basically. You're in the you're in the head of every character there. We get to hear their thoughts rather than writing in first person. And a lot of first-time novelists, myself included, will write in first person because, because of the fact that so many first novels are semi-autobiographical. Yeah, yeah. Yes, We're so yes. close to it. Yeah. I love that you didn't do that. You stuck with third person. Was that a conscious decision, or did it just come out that way?
2: I think it was the only way I could do it and give it justice. This is why when I mm-hmm. read it, I can't remember. W- which is great to sit there with your own book and go, "What happens next?" Or you know, I mean, you know, you sound like an idiot, but I'm but I'm glad that I that I do that. And I do try to give. I, I do try to. You said it right. I do try to go into the head of each character. Take a, mm-hmm. take away me. And go into that character and just think like they did feel like they didn't see where they're going to do next. I got to a certain point I'd I'd shared. It wasn't a lot, maybe, I don't know, maybe 35 pages. And I shared it with people who I trust. And And they said, you can really write, you can really write, but it's a little bit close to home. And I thought, that's why I'm blocked. Yeah. Yeah, I already written my autobiography, you know. So then I I took just the beginning and I went done mm-hmm. with the relating to me, and and then I went from there and I really created it. And I started to create, which I loved.
1: Well, you started to have fun, and that that will yeah. open you up
2: too. Yeah, yeah, it did open me up totally. Then I was just able to use my imagination and my knowledge. I'm very good with people. I'm a, I'm a people person.
1: Another interesting aspect of the novel is. Celebrity fandom and how intrusive and annoying that could be for the celebrity. So, Allison can't get away from it no matter where she goes. Even the room service guy at the Warwick Hotel in New York City, which is a key setting for some of the major events in the novel, <laughs> has to get in some gushing. And I'm wondering, what's the most irritating experience you've had with fans?
2: <laughs> see, see, I, was, I, I was at a gig. And unfortunately, there wasn't a toilet backstage. So there was one right next to the back. So I know this oh, happens a lot. So I had to kind of sneak in and go. And of course, they, they tried to keep the people out and all that because it mm-hmm. was a public toilet. But I went in and somebody saw me going. So I'm in there having a wee. And underneath underneath the stall door comes a piece of paper for an autograph. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how I signed it. Ah! <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. That was maybe the most annoying one of my life. Under, on, under, on, Underneath the stall. That's crazy. And and I don't mind. I'm very open. I don't hide. I always am. But that was a little bit too yeah. much. Do you get starstruck? No. People who I love, I love. And I I, find, I feel that they're colleagues and not some. I can be like, oh, I adore you, but it's not like, no, um, I can't remember. And I can't think of anybody that I've met that I felt that way about. Yeah, I just feel like we're in the same business, and I can relate. And if it's an author or a poet or a sculptor or whatever, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't do Star Trek. I love people very much, and I will say to them, I adore you, but not. I'm never. I am not a tongue tied person. The Cary Grant Suite at the Warwick
1: Hotel in New York City is an important setting in your novel The Hurricane. So I have to ask, have you ever stayed in the Cary Grant suite at the Warwick Hotel? Of course.
2: Okay. Every time.
1: That's why it's special. Every
2: single time. And in fact, the last time I went, I've been in there maybe twenty times. I love the suite. I took my granddaughter on a promise um for her 18th. And she was 19 by the time we went. Um and we stayed in the Cary Grant suite. And, and I didn't tell a lot about it, except it was a famous actor. And I always stayed on blah, blah. Two different bedrooms. My husband and me in one and her in another one. Big suite. And she told me on the way home that she was outside. And the door opened. And she thought it was me. And she said, hi, Grandma. And it wasn't me. And I didn't, I didn't tell her anything about this. She said, Grandma. It was a gray haired man and he came out and he looked and then he went back in. I went, what, what, what is right? Oh, she saw, she saw the ghost of Cary Grant. (laughs) Holy cow. Have you ever experienced that? I live in a house that is 15th century built in finished being built in 1590. And I'm never, I'm never alone here, So I don't freak out over that. Uh, there's plenty of people here, sure. I, I, I'm a firm believer.
1: But what kind of experiences have you had that lets you know somebody else is there? Every day. Have you seen things or just heard things?
2: Oh, my God, it's a long story. Um, I'm trying to make it short for you. Since you, since I first moved in, I was always aware, I'll put it this way, that I wasn't alone. Okay. You just feel it. You just feel it. It's not scary. Mm-hmm. I, I was... Um, asked to come here, basically. Mm-hmm. So I saw this house and I fell in love. This is my house. So mm-hmm. um, there's a, there was always a particular feeling that my ex and me got here. And I, for some reason, named this entity Richard. Whenever we were here, boom, 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 I saw it's Richard. I used to make a joke of it. I'm going to make this short because it's a long story. So there's one, there's... An older part of the house, obviously, and a newer part, the older parts, it has more activity, naturally. And if you're if you're sensitive to it, you will feel it. And I know people come in here and they go, oh, yeah. And other people go, no, but other people do. So Richard was always here, even when my daughter was born, even when my son Richard was born, da, 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 da. And I, I didn't mind the feelings and not just him, but different feelings, didn't mind it, accepted it. Because they have more of a right to be here than I do. They were here way before me. And one time I had a friend of mine stay overnight. And she's psychic. And she said, oh, because we used to laugh about Richard, this joke, Richard, you know, the, the ghost. And she said, oh, he came to me in the night. I said, he what? And she said, he came to me in the night and he was quite rude. I went, I don't like that. No, I don't like it. So after she went home, I then went to the, then I got annoyed. I wasn't annoyed before then. I didn't mind it. Everything's fine. Um, And I went to the local church here and I walked to the priest and I said, hi. And I told him the whole story. And I said, just what I told you, I don't mind, but Mm -hmm. came to a friend of mine last night. And that's a step too far. And he said, right. I said, "Uh, I have a feeling I said, first of all, don't think I'm crazy. And he said, I don't. I'm a priest and I live in the priest house. So that's it. I said, OK, so I have a feeling since I even moved to this house that this particular guy who I like to call, I didn't tell him the name. I said, this particular feeling, he simply wants to be remembered. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I have this instinct. He said, right, right. And I said, and I and I joked and I said, oh, and I nicknamed him Richard. And the priest went, what? I went, what? He said, you called him Richard? I said, "Yes, yeah, a joke. He went, okay. Got the keys for the church. We went into the church. Went down the main aisle where there's stones for prominent people with their names all the way to the altar. Walking down, stopped at the last stone before the altar. <laughs> and, he, and he says, okay. Read that. Here lies Richard Sorrell of Hyde Hall, the last in his line.
0: Oh, wow.
2: See, I got the feeling here. And I just, yeah. how did I know that? You can't invent this stuff. No. So so that was what I said was correct. Mm-hmm. He wants he wa- to be remembered. Yep. And I've now got uh, about maybe six or seven years ago, Uh, Part of his family moved to America, and one of his great-great-grandson, whatever, wrote to me. Really? Found out that I lived in this house, wrote to me, and I've now got Richard Sorrell's will in my cabinet. Cool is that. So I was supposed to come here, and I'm the caretaker of this house until I go. And yeah, I I can't not believe it, because too many things Mm. have happened.
1: Did you name your son Richard after the ghost?
2: No. He's actually Leonard Richard Tucky, after my first husband. Okay. And, and because there were two Leonard Richard Tuckys, it was Leonard Richard Tucky third. I said to my husband, okay, yes, he's called after you, but I'm going to call him Richard it's it too confusing.
1: Let's shift gears a little bit. So Jim Morrison famously wrote in his poem, the movie, did you have a good world when you died? Enough to base a movie on. Well, obviously you're not dead, but you have had a movie, a documentary made about you, Susie Q, which is fabulous I've watched it twice now just a great movie so how did that come about and and how how did you get involved in that
2: uh this is going to happen for a long time um, with my other friend Vicky Blue from The Runaways and that for various reasons didn't happen then about three or four years ago somebody called me from Australia and they said we'd like to do a documentary and I said okay tell me about yourself da, 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 da. and then he said I have to tell you right away, I'm not a fan. I went, interesting. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. I, I, I remember saying to him, well, there's an icebreaker for you. Um, and I said, okay, that, that he said, no, no, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't like your music. I mean, I'm not a quote unquote fan fan. I said that that's not a problem. I said, so curiosity, why do you want to do the film? And he said, because I saw you talking on a talk show and i and I was fascinated. So I thought to myself, okay, this guy will not be kissing my ass. He'll fight for his corner. So I liked the whole feel of him. And I liked it that he said that straight away. That's great. Yeah. So the ground the ground for truth is laid. Right, right. Yeah. So I said, okay, I like your style. Let's do it. And um, I'll tell you one thing. I have the scissors because it's my life. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, I guarantee you right now that as long as something is true and necessary, it stays in. And I don't care how embarrassing it is. And there were moments when I watched the film back with an audience when I'm doing my Q&As. I wanted to crawl out of the theater. Yeah. And they were my cringe moments. But now they're the best moments in the film. Mm-hmm. And thank God I left the truth in. Yeah.
1: I, I was really impressed by how honest it was. You go there about the complicated relationship you have with your sisters, well, your, your family. I, I mean, your dad, when you first went to London, made a recording of the family talking about you and some of what they said wasn't terribly nice. And he sent it to you. And I, I thought, why, why do you think he did that?
2: I don't know. It's the big, I mean, there's a film being made in my life now. So this is one of the issues. Yeah. This is one of the issues that we do cover and forever it will be. I don't pretend I know the answer. Yeah. Um, It could have been that he wanted to push me going, or it could have been that he was pissed off that I left the family and Mm -hmm. didn't take everybody with me. Um, So whatever that reason is, I don't know. The script will tell it in the script way, but at the same time, the punchline to that, if you like, was all these years I had to ask my dad why. Mm. And I never asked him. There's and a no question. You
1: can't. No, yeah. there's,
2: there's your question. Why didn't I ever pose the question? What, if it bothered me so much, which it did, maybe I was afraid of the answer. I don't know. It's, it's was, in, Yeah. You're going to say what that. I was
1: going to say. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want you know. to
2: know. I didn't <laughs> want to know. I'd rather surmise in my head anyway. Can I ask you what sign you are? Yeah, I'm Scorpio. <laughs>
1: Why? What?
2: No, I love Scorpios. Most of my boyfriends have been <laughs> No, I love Scorpios. You're um No, I do. I'll tell you about you. This is my okay. I'm I'm very good at this. Um Scorpios are what's the word? They will not apologize for who they are. Yeah. I yeah. I know. And What I do love is with the Scorpio, let's say you have a situation with somebody and you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Doesn't happen a lot, but you're wrong. You're wrong. And you will then go to this person once you know you're wrong and you'll say, "Okay, I was wrong. Done. You're done. You will not explain yourself again. Once you've said I'm wrong. Done. Yeah. Done.
1: Well, we're cell sisters, you know me.
2: <laughs> I do. I
1: know I know another way we're cell sisters. You did a lot of acting after Happy Days. And one of the things you did was in 1986 on the stage, Annie Get Your Gun. You played Annie Oakley. In 1986, I played Annie's little sister Nellie in my high school production of Annie Get Your Gun. Oh
2: my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. What a great show.
1: Yeah, it was. I had a great time, but that was just so cool. When I read that you did that the same year,
2: yeah, so we're connected. That's that's excellent. There you go. There you go. (laughs) I like it.
1: (laughs) You have famously said, "I will retire when I go on stage, shake my ass, and there is silence." (laughs) I have a feeling you got a long way to go, and I know you got another rock novel in you. I do. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Well, I think we could talk for another six weeks and not get tired. Uh Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think so too.
2: See you, Scorpio. All right, (laughs) Gemini.
1: Keep up with Susie at her website, www.susiequatro.com, where you can find current tour dates and order her music and books, including The Hurricane. We'll take another short break, then we'll be joined by journalist and producer Katherine Turman to talk about Susie's role as a groundbreaker for so many women in rock. Back in a second. And we're back with more Rock is Lit. For this segment, we're joined by Catherine Turman. Catherine is a freelance journalist, magazine editor, and all-around badass in what is still basically the male-dominated music journalism world. She is co-author of the critically acclaimed book Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal, published by HarperCollins, and has produced the syndicated classic rock radio show Nights with Alice Cooper since 2007. Her articles as a freelancer have appeared in The Village Voice, The Los Angeles Times, Esquire.com, Rolling Stone, Billboard, Spin, Mother Jones, San Francisco Weekly, L.A. Alternative Press, Guitar World, and many other outlets. For six years, Catherine worked as producer of the syndicated live radio show Line, helping earn the program a Billboard Monitor Award. In 2003, Catherine accepted a job as a music producer and talent booker at TV's morning talk program, The Sharon Osbourne Show. Additional work-related endeavors include liners, band bios, editing and packaging notes for Rhino Records, Metallica, Atlantic Records, and many other organizations. She's also been a featured expert in several of VH1's Behind the Music episodes. Thanks so much for being here, Catherine.
0: Well, thank you, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I sound uh, impressive. (laughs) You
1: are. It's not every episode I get two badass rocker women on the show.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Yes.
1: But let's start with women in rock in general. What was the music landscape for female artists like when Susie was first starting out?
0: Well, when she was starting out, there was no, I mean, hard rock was barely even a thing. Her influences, I'm sure she told you, you know, Elvis was kind of her role model because there weren't any women who were doing cool kind of bad boy, bad person, I guess we <laughs> want to call it stuff. Women were there were the little like uh girl groups do what yeah. that kind of stuff, but it it was all kind of controlled and very image conscious. There was nothing kind of wild and rebellious for women back then. I mean Janis Joplin was obviously one of the first and she wasn't a player like Susie is, you know, a stellar musician, you know, started on bass and does other instruments. But really, I think Janis Joplin, I mean, of course, there were some early female singers, even Linda Ronstadt was one of the early ones. But, uh, you know, apart from Janis, they were a little more tightly controlled in terms of the performance where Janice was just a, a wild woman mm-hmm. on stage and um, I think there were people like Billie Holiday or some women who kind of broke the mold a little bit but again rock and roll um, was much newer then. you know she came up in the, in the 60s really um, as, as a performer and, and fan I think she is the youngest in her family. And uh, she had an older brother who was a musician, a dad who was a musician. I think it was just always a part of her life and picking up the bass. And she has a a thing to definitely, you know, there's players who use picks and players who use their fingers. She's definitely a finger player. She is attuned to her instrument. She likes kind of the the deep and dirty sound of that she's not you know even if if her dad was a jazz player she is definitely uh Mm -hmm. rock and roll you know you can tell obviously by the way she looked but even as a teenager playing bass she had that vibe and i think just again because it was normalized in her family she she was just like comfortable in, in performing that of course By her teen years, she was playing out and being in Detroit, there were so many great bands in the late 60s, early 70s, and she has said that they were super accepting of her. So I think, you know, the combination of a great supportive family playing the bass in a really tough way. She was a, you know, a small person. She's not, you know, she's a, tiny, five foot yeah. nine. Yes, exactly. But, but I, I think that gave her a lot of power, picking up this big bass and playing mm-hmm. with her fingers. I mean, I think she she got her power out of and that. And it's
1: it's always been interesting to me how she refused to be put in this box of what is expected of. Uh, of women in terms of the way they look, the way they behave, the way they, they make music. She always transcended that and, and simply did it her way.
0: Yes, she did very much. And again, I think other musicians saw that immediately. You know, like she, mm-hmm. we spoke of Alice Cooper. Of course, she went on an early tour with him. Yeah. And, and yeah. he and his camp were very supportive and, and still are. I mean, Alice still considers her a friend. They've guested on each other's radio shows. So I think, um, you know, the music, uh, the musicians at that time, you know, coming up in Detroit, MC5 and Iggy even, all those people really saw her as one of the boys, I guess. And she was sexy in her in her own very... You know, mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if it was androgynous necessarily, but it, it wasn't, you know, traditional soft woman, flowery in any way, you know, either personality, music, or dress. So um, yeah. you know, on the cover of Rolling Stone, yeah, yeah, she was wearing something super tight. But I mean, she wanted That's how she is. That's what she looked like in her everyday life. She didn't let them like dress her up or like, let's show cleavage. Let's do this. Let's put on, you know, bright lipstick. No, she was, you know, sexy in her own powerful way. Um, And yeah, I don't think she ever really probably thought about sex appeal. She's just like making music is, you know, inherently powerful and attractive. Okay. Now
1: having said all of that, why the hell isn't she in the
0: rock and roll hall of fame? That's a great question. And, uh, well, I am a voter in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I shouldn't, you know, so I shouldn't say it's, uh, you know, there's old white guys at the top. I shouldn't say that. But, um, you know, I think the fact that she did leave America early, it wasn't like she was touring America throughout the 90s and, and wasn't a president. So I think she's a little bit out of sight, out of mind a teeny bit also as she knows it's so political it's so political you have to have uh people lobbying for you it's not just a matter of who's who's the best and who's the most influential i mean i would argue that her influence is so huge you know i can't say that i know what other women have said like i mean i would expect people like pat benatar or chrissy hind or whatever to say don't induct me until susie is inducted um you know i don't know if that's happened or if it will happen but again It is such kind of like a mysterious old boys network Uh that um, it's really hard to break through. There's no doubt that, that she should have been in long ago. Where do you see her in the history of rock and roll? I think she would be in, you know, every time there's an article about pioneering women just across, across music. Again, like you think about um, Billie Holiday, all genres of of music. She is the one of the most influential women in rock and roll. Definitely. I mean, she's done things her own way. Mm -hmm. And I think what's amazing is she's also had. So much success in different areas. I mean, she's been in musicals, she's written books. She's, I mean, so she's a, you know, not even a triple threat. She's like a quintuple threat with everything that she does. But she deserves so much more in terms of the accolades. And by the way, I think her new records, I mean, she did one in 2019, 2021. She's still very active. And I think those records are great. Mm -hmm. She's current, she's not like riding on her, her, you know, coattails or anything. I mean, without Susie Quattro breaking down the doors, both as a bass player, as a singer-songwriter, you know, we wouldn't have The Runaways. We wouldn't have Joan Jett. Um, You know, we wouldn't have Chrissy Hind. All these women owe a big debt to her. Absolutely. Susie,
1: I hope you're feeling the love because we're sending it to you, sister.
0: Exactly.
1: Thanks for being our music guru on this episode, Catherine. You can find out more about Catherine Turman, read some of her articles, and purchase her book *Louder Than Hell* at her website, CatherineTerman.com. Go to NightsWithAliceCooper.com to find out where you can listen to Alice's syndicated radio show, *Nights with Alice Cooper*, which Catherine produces. Don't forget to check out Susie Quattro's website, www.susiequattro.com, where you can find current tour dates and order her music and books, including her novel, The Hurricane. Our
2: love is alive.
1: Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Rock is Lit to hear from more great rock novelists and special guests who offer commentary on the music or musical events featured in these novels. Until next time, keep rocking and reading and getting lit.
2: Rock is lit!